today we're talking about how people-pleasing is actually a form of manipulation. Welcome to the Fierce Authenticity Podcast, where we're illuminating and dismantling all of the ways supremacy culture has impacted our relationships with ourselves, with source, and with others. Not just the overt ways, like racism, sexism, ageism, alcoholism, and all the other isms, but also the sneaky, cunning ways you wouldn't have thought of, like perfectionism, imposter syndrome, judgment, burnout, the not enoughs, and the hustle to achieve. I'm your hostess, Sharani M. Batuk, and I'm a relationship therapist, leadership development consultant, and author of the book series, Fierce Authenticity. Whether you're a returning listener or you're new here, I want to extend a very warm welcome to you and invite you to connect with me through the Fierce Authenticity newsletter community. If you're ready to rise above an inherited systematic invasion rooted in fear and lack so that you can calm and refocus those energies towards reclaiming a fiercely authentic personal relationship grounded in an abundance and love that is so radiant all your other relationships are elevated with you, then this is the space for you. I invite you to visit www.fierceauthenticity.com slash connect to join me. I'm so excited that you're here. And now let's dive in. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited that you're here back with me for another episode. And I feel like today is going to be one of those truth bomb uncomfortable, kind of ouch feeling type of episodes. So go ahead and brace yourself because as you heard in the introduction, today we are going to talk about how people pleasing is a form of manipulation. Now, before we do so, however, I do want to back up a step and say that people-pleasing, quote-unquote people-pleasing, gets a really bad rap. I am a member of a 12-step community. They often talk about like codependency and it's really bad. And not that it's bad because in 12-step programs, they don't say that kind of stuff, but they talk about how it's just not something to strive for. Let's say it that way. And this people-pleasing, this over-reliance on others, and how it comes from the effects of living in a dysfunctional family dynamic. And I sometimes have a problem with that. As a trauma therapist, as someone who my training is in relationships, and all trauma is relational today, well, 99.9% of trauma is relational today. When I put my lens as the trauma we experience in relationships to these phrases of codependency or people-pleasing, it really bothers me. Now, a little bit of background. These phrases were developed, I believe, way back in the 80s, and they were developed in facilities for people with alcoholism, addiction, chemical dependency. 
chemical dependency. Hear that? Which is where codependency comes from. Now, just to clarify, Codependence Anonymous or CODA is not my program. So I don't know what they address and what they deal with in that program directly. However, I'm speaking in a general kind of way from my own experience with my recovery community. And what I know is that codependency was a phrase coined to talk about those who were kind of co-alcoholics or co-addicts is what they called it. And those were the people who were in relationship or in partnership with these people who were substance dependent, whether that was alcohol dependent or other substance dependent. And that's where it was originally coined. Now, today, codependency and people-pleasing have gotten so into the pop culture that even if we don't have a history of dysfunctional family dynamics or alcoholism or addiction in our families or backgrounds, we can still fall into these people-pleasing patterns. And the thing that I want to share with you before we dive into this is that Research now tells us there are three additional trauma responses, and people-pleasing is actually one of those. Now, previously, we all know there was fight, flight, freeze. Those were the traditionally accepted, traditionally recognized trauma responses. Then came A fourth one known as FAWN, F-A-W-N, and you've heard me speak about this trauma response before. And it was basically how, like, if you can't beat them, join them. Like, if you can't escape, then might as well just be like them. Now, what researchers are finding is that, I don't know if it's actually in the fawn category, but there are, in addition to fight, flight, freeze, they are identifying three additional trauma responses or ways that we and our nervous system survive in traumatic situations And that is the response of please and appease, the response of attach, cry for help, and the response of collapse and submit. And what researchers are saying is that these are three adaptive survival responses that we develop when there is no opportunity to escape the predator. And Mind you, I am speaking about this from a biological perspective. So what I mean by that is in fight, flight, or freeze, there is this assumption that if you were caught by a saber-toothed tiger, you could choose, well, not you could choose because this isn't like a conscious choice. This is a choice that your nervous system makes based on an assessment of the surroundings and the situation. It's a very finely calculated thing that happens in literally one-eighth of a second to one-twelfth of a second. So when the nervous system uh, sees that there's a saber-toothed tiger, some sort of predator coming at us, we have our nervous system has three options to choose from. Fight, um, I'm going to fight that saber-toothed tiger. Flight, I am going to run away from this saber-toothed tiger. Or freeze, which is, oh crap, the saber-toothed tiger is here. I can't run. I can't fight. I'm going to play dead. 
And so those have been the three traditionally acknowledged trauma responses. And now they're saying that actually, if you make an assessment of a situation, because the freeze response researchers are saying is actually meant to be temporary, because if we play dead for too long and our internal organs, if they are slowed down in a somewhat freeze-like state when we're playing dead for too long, then we actually could die. And so for this instance, think about a cat and mouse. If a cat has a mouse in its mouth and that mouse plays dead for too long, that mouse will actually die. So the goal is, of course, that the saber-toothed tiger would get bored of us or that cat would get bored of the mouse and then would just like let us or that mouse go. And once the predator is gone, then you could like shake out, regulate your nervous system and come back into homeostasis. Well, in relational trauma, that's not exactly possible for most of us, especially growing up in dysfunctional family dynamics. And you know, it's funny, I say dysfunctional this time around, and I want to put quotes around that because really these are family dynamics that are a result of systems of oppression. And when we live in these oppressive systems, we get into these patterns of relating that aren't helpful aren't conducive, and can put us in a position of being at home with a predator, whether that predator is someone as wild and violent as a saber-toothed tiger might be, or whether that threat, I'll call it a threat this time, uh, whether the predator or threat is someone who's emotionally or mentally unavailable and can't meet our needs, or if that person is unstable and can't meet our needs. Those are actual threats to us, especially in our childhoods and growing up. So in those circumstances, when we can't freeze for a brief period of time and then come back to because we cannot escape the threat, then that's where these other survival defenses come in. That's where fawn comes in. That's where please and appease comes in. That's where attach, cry for help, and collapse, submit come in. These are the ways that our brains, our bodies, our nervous systems adapt to uncertainty and the possibility of threat in our environment when there is no other way for us to survive. And researchers are saying that attach cry for help is actually our earliest survival defense in terms of babies. If they're hungry, they're going to cry. They have a need, they will cry. And this is one of the least understood of the survival responses. There's also collapse and submit, which is the body's last resort. A lot of times we see this with people who are so depressed that it's hard for them to do anything. And this is because they're in a state of collapse. And so they have, they're like kind of submitting to anything because they're, them and their nervous systems learned really early on 
that if there's no way to escape the threat, then we can just shut down and be numb. And for a lot of people, this might look like compliance, like they just go along with whatever and not really speak up, not really have a voice. And it's it messes with our neurochemistry, actually, is what, what researchers are telling us. All of these survival responses, it's important to know they help you survive in the moment, but they have detrimental long-term effects. And then lastly, that please and appease that we're talking about, which is our focus for today's episode, is actually an active nervous system response. So there's passive nervous system responses such as collapse and submit. And then there's active ones such as please and appease. And it's a response that helps us navigate our environments when there is a sense of danger. And the purpose of this survival response is to not activate the other person's fight response in their nervous systems. So we learn that if we can erase our own wants, needs, and thoughts as a way to stave off violence or abuse or danger, then maybe they won't hurt me. And the thought is, if I please them, maybe they won't hurt me. Or if I please them, maybe they'll feed me. Or if I please them, maybe they'll be able to show up and meet my emotional needs. And these were all super, super, super important defenses in order to help us survive these painful and traumatic childhoods. And what happens, however, is that when we continue to carry these patterns on into our adult lives and in our adult relationships, it can become really, really problematic. So with that nervous system research under your belt now, I'm going to talk about what is it that makes people pleasing an act of manipulation, which is an act of violence and oppression. What you do when you are in your adult life and engaging in people pleasing or please and appease behaviors, then you are being completely inauthentic to who you actually are. You are foregoing your connection with yourself, that authenticity, connection and attachment to self, in favor of attachment to others which again, we've talked about this on the podcast. It's a very human, natural response to do so. However, when it becomes problematic is if you are erasing your own needs, wants, and thoughts, opinions, all that stuff. And when you do that, you're not letting others see you as who you truly are. You're trying to get them to like you. (laughs) You are trying to get them to approve of you. You are trying to get them to validate you, to tell you that you're a great person and you're amazing and all this other stuff. And what that does 
is it creates this false image and this false persona of who you are. And it's in that false image and false persona of who you are that the manipulation occurs. Because when you're not showing up in your relationships with who you authentically are, because you are trying to get something from someone else, then you're not in authentic connection. You're not having authentic communication. You are not engaging in authentic relationships. And instead, you're showing up the way you think others want you to be. Or you're showing up the way that you think others want you to be. And the really tricky part about this is as you begin to work towards coming out of any people-pleasing tendencies, there is this phrase that I learned in my 12-step recovery community that when you stop people-pleasing, people won't be pleased. I'm going to repeat that for you. When you stop people-pleasing, people won't be pleased. And that's because these people with whom you've been in relationship with, they are so used to you doing whatever they want or you showing up however they want you to. And when you don't or when you're afraid that you won't or that they won't like you, it activates your nervous system, puts you in this wonky ass state of nervous system dysregulation. And so when you start... To reclaim your own wants, your own needs, your own thoughts, your own desires, and you start to communicate that with the people in your life, if you have trained them to view you a certain way through your people-pleasing patterns, then they are going to be shocked and surprised when you do start to reclaim your true authentic self. And so initially people may not be pleased. And that's important for you to know and understand. And it's also important for you to know and understand that as you work to reclaim you, that it also might activate your nervous system because you're freaking the fuck out because there's a fear that, oh my gosh, if I don't do what they want me to do, or if I don't show up the way they want me to show up, then I will literally be ousted from the tribe. I will not belong. They won't like me. All that other good stuff, which again is super, super normal part of this process. So as you're working towards reclaiming yourself, reclaiming your wants, reclaiming your needs, reclaiming your desires, reclaiming your thoughts and opinions, and starting to come into authentic relationship with yourself so that you can be in authentic connection, communication, and relationship with others, start slow. Start small. Start with safe people. And use those little experiences as a book of evidence. Literally write them down in a book of evidence that supports the learning of the new pattern. That it's okay for you to show up with your own wants, needs, thoughts, opinions, and desires. 
It's okay for you to show up as who you are without having to manipulate someone else to like you or believe something about you. And as you get those small pieces of evidence that it's okay and you write them down, your nervous system will start to see, oh, it is safe. I can do this. It's not dangerous. And so if you're someone who falls into this category of engaging in people-pleasing tendencies, doing for others at your own expense, always wanting to be liked and giving up who you are in order to do so, then I invite you to start considering or be willing to consider what I've shared with you here and I do invite you to reach out to me, send me a DM on Instagram at Sharani M. Batak and let me know what you got from this episode. Let me know if you tried it and if you were able to get evidence to support you in that it is okay for you to start to reclaim yourself, for you to engage with the world and with the people that you love in your authenticity with an attachment to yourself so that you can choose to be both authentic and attached. And let me know how it goes. Please know that I'm over here and I am cheering you on. And until we meet again, take really good care. I want to take a moment to honor and acknowledge the amazing support team that helps make this podcast possible for you. Starting with Diego Velasquez, our podcast editor and the talented artist who created our custom music. Ana Olvina, my wonderful assistant who creates all of our beautiful graphics and the transcript of every episode, which you can find over at www.fierceauthenticity.com. Biana Sandich, who writes our amazing show notes and does it so well that I bet you couldn't tell it wasn't me. The talented Jillian at Epoxy Studios, whose photography is our cover art and pretty much every other curated image that you see of me on social media. My husband, who puts up with me when it's 11.30 p.m. on a Sunday night and I'm like, hey babe, I gotta record a podcast episode. Like, right now. Is that okay? My higher power, whose divine wisdom flows through me to bring these messages to you. And last but not least, I want to thank you, my listener, so much for listening in. If you'd like to join the podcast support team, some ways you can do so are by rating and reviewing the podcast, sharing it with everyone you know, and, if possible, making a financial contribution through the link in the show notes so that you, too, can be part of the team elevating this podcast and making it possible to bring to other listeners like you. I'm sending you so much love, and we will be together again soon. 